everybody, and welcome back to You Can't Win. This is Tom here, and I'm joined by Don, as usual. Uh, today, we're going to be talking to our friend Nico, who has been teaching English in China and has a few interesting stories about that. Um, so, yeah, welcome to the show, Nico. Yeah, welcome. Hey, thanks, guys. Good to be here. So, how long have you been in China for at this point? Uh, it's coming up on two years now. I came here in fall of 2019, um, originally from Toronto, and I've been staying here in Nanjing the whole time. Mm-hmm. So, could you tell people maybe a bit about Nanjing? Like, uh, it's it's like the historical southern capital, I guess, of China. Like a, I don't know, it's like a major city, though, right? It's like it's like a oh, yeah. very big city. So, yeah, there's like I guess if you, depending on how you put the boundaries, there's about nine million people here. Uh, it's one of China's like not I, th- I don't think it's a tier zero city, which is just like Beijing and Shanghai, um, mm-hmm. but it's like tier one, so one of the bigger cities. Obviously, you know, it's in the richer eastern part of China. Like it's it's on the Yangtze River upstream from Shanghai, in its mm-hmm. own province. Well, in it's the capital of Jiangsu Province, which is you know big, rich eastern province. Um, yeah, and it's the southern capital. Like Beijing is north capital, and Nanjing is south capital. Like the Various different times have been used as capitals for different governments. Sure. And uh, so, I, I mean, because you've been there two years, I think people, obviously, you know, you uh, have been there through the whole pandemic, I guess. And uh, Yeah. Yeah. Good timing, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's, like, been one of the craziest things. Like, so when the virus first hit, I was um, in Australia for, like, the spring holidays because, you know, the sort of Christmas in China is Lunar New Year, Spring Festival. So like late January of, I guess it was 2020, I was in Australia hanging out with my family there on Western Australia. And, you know, the virus hit and I was talking to people back in China. Like, I mean, at at first, like, I think I saw like, like a little headline about like the Wuhan virus and like wasn't a big deal yet. And I don't think Mm -hmm. people outside of China were really even talking about it much. Mm-hmm. But then, like, by the time I was, like, starting ready to leave Australia, the virus was, like, kicking off, and it was getting, like, really bad in Wuhan, I think. And mm-hmm. I had to make the decision, like, oh, do I go back to China? Like, should I go back to Canada? Like, my relatives in Australia are, like, totally cool if I stay here. But, like, I don't know how long my welcome is for. And also, if I don't go back to my job, like, I'm just going to lose it, right? So it's a really hard decision sure. for me. And I ultimately ended up, you know, flying back to China while the virus was sort of, like, ramping up. And it, it, was, it was funny because, like, literally everybody was just telling me not to do that. Like, yeah, yeah. the Australian relatives were like, oh, I don't know, Nico. It's, you know, it's China. You're probably better off, you know, <laughs> camping out here for a while. I was like, no, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. like, it, it, it's... And then my family also, too. I Like, I understand why they were worried. Um, because, like, last time with SARS, like, it, it didn't, didn't leave China, you know? Um, but... Yeah. Yeah, no, I went back to China. Even the Singapore Airlines attendant was like, are you sure? Like, like most of the people on that flight were just like Chinese people returning from their holidays. Sure. Um, and so like, but it actually, yeah, it turned out to be probably for the best because like the virus situation here was quite under control after like a few months of just sort of staying inside. And then I was working all last year. Like I was, I was teaching classes. Mm-hmm. And it's only recently that China had, like, a little bit of an outbreak, ironically, like, from Nanjing. So, like, Nanjing's kind of in hot water as far as the central government goes right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what was it like to be under lockdown in China? Uh, I, I guess that was what, like, when you first got there, I guess you had to, was it like, in Nanjing, were you just staying at home the whole time? Or was there, like, what was it like to, you know, was it was it affecting Jiangsu, too, as well? or? Oh, yeah. It was, like, I think there were... There were cases, like, because the Wuhan thing, obviously, they were a little slow in getting a cap on it. So, like, sure. there were cases in Nanjing. And when I got to the airport, it was a ghost town, like, getting temperature scanned everywhere. And everyone was basically told, like, okay, like, we're not we're not going back to school after the holidays, and everybody should just stay on holiday. Like, that was the thing. It was kind of, in a way, lucky that people were already on holiday, but also unlucky because people were, like, traveling around the country. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I just came back. Uh, I stayed with my partner. In our apartment, we just went outside to get groceries, and that lasted, like, a couple months, I guess. I don't even know what the official rule is. Like, everyone in China has basically been, like, following things with a pretty, like, civic sense. Uh, most people are like, yeah, okay, I'll stay inside. Okay, I'll, 
I'll wear masks. Like it's not politicized in the way it is. Mm -hmm. So, and then I guess life went back to normal after a few months or was it like, what's, what was the situation after that? Yeah, I guess it went to sort of like a new normal back in, in the fall, went back to teaching classes, except there was, you know, health protocols and like parents weren't allowed into the school, just, just kids. And, uh, you know, we're still wearing masks all the time. One big thing was everyone started using these health codes, um, like because WeChat and Alipay are so big here. Everyone already had these two apps on their phone, which you can use to like pull up a health code. I don't know what's going on on the back end, really. I guess they're just like tracking your interactions or who you happen to pass by. But you can't pretty much enter any public place without a green QR code um, from your mm. provincial health app. And that was like just that was the main thing like everything was pretty normal like you just wear masks um show your health code that was the way it was for like the whole last year they started reopening things like we went back to normal way faster than like, i guess i mean canada is still not even back to normal yeah. um i remember at first like i went from my australian vacation to lockdown in china and i had a friend teaching english in spain and he was like hey i'm on the balcony man hanging out, drinking some brews, no lockdown in Spain. <laughs> it was just yeah, like yeah. he gloated way too soon because he, sure. <laughs> he was like he had to leave Spain because of the virus. And, and then like the lockdown in Canada lasts, I guess, way longer. I mean, I guess there's been like four or five waves there in, in southern Ontario at least, right? Yeah, we're, we're entering basically a fourth wave, although uh, about 80% of people have had one vaccine at least. So, uh, it, mm. it, you know, we don't know how bad it's going to be but we'll see but uh yeah uh, so i mean were things like movie theaters open and venues and stuff or uh yeah movie theaters did reopen after a while um malls were open restaurants um parks i guess like certain things didn't go on like there wasn't any concerts at the concert sure. hall because no one's flying into china or like sports um events were all canceled but like within china the virus was like pretty well under control and, sure. and especially in, in Jiangsu province. So everything was like basically normal except you're wearing a mask. Sure. And so what's happened more recently with you? Like, are you, what's the status of your lockdown and stuff now? Is it, is there anything new other than the codes and whatnot or? Um, I guess it's just, they did this thing where everyone in the whole city got nucleic acid tested like five times. Oh, um, wow. Because Nanjing had this outbreak from the airport, a Russian plane had not been disinfected, or the cleaning crew had, a, f a few people got infected on a cleaning crew, went back to their neighborhood. It's kind of been a big thing in the news here because, like, this one lady went to another town, even though her health code was yellow. She, like, cheated. It's very easy to cheat. Like, you just take a screenshot of somebody else's green code, and most security guards are not, like, reading the fine print of your health code. So... She went to play mahjong in this like crowded mahjong den oh, and no. ended up like cheating. And, you know, the police caught her and she's been on like, you know, TikTok videos and like doing her perp walk in her hazmat suit. Um, wow. So she's sort of like a public enemy now for you know, obviously like doing a pretty selfish thing. But yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like there was a sort of a, almost a grassroots thing, like block captains and, and every community arranged its own testing base and like so in my community i walked to like the the office tower nearby and like five times now had to go and do like a, a throat swab and apparently everyone in the city has done that now just trying to track and it's apparently worked like the the new cases in nanjing are like in the single digits i think every day or sometimes there's zero wow yeah so i mean it's quite different still here in terms of that like although it is kind of a bit funny like you know as you said, it's much more politicized. So there's stuff like in Alberta, they they were originally going to stop doing testing of asymptomatic people and stuff like that. Like, just really, like the testing has never been that widespread here. So that yeah, that's that's mm. pretty it's pretty amazing. The yeah, I don't know, just the the as you said, that civic nature to it. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's yeah. it's obviously just been very fortunate for me because my life hasn't been so heavily impacted and I, I felt safe like i i haven't even gotten the sinopharm vaccine yet because my partner doesn't really want to and 
I don't know. Just it, it also hasn't been urgent. I think if I'd been in Toronto, I probably would be vaccinated by now. Yeah. Um, you know, but yeah. So I feel I feel for my my family and friends in Toronto though. Like I, I can even see certain friends lining up on like the more like science is awesome side, and certain friends lining up on the sort of like this is like oppressive the government's like restrictions it's just like i don't know china's at like a really peak of 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 national sentiment right now because of the virus management in part um Mm -hmm. like people are super proud of china's response and like america's embarrassing response also makes them really proud that china's done so well so (laughs) it's yeah it's Mm -hmm. been funny to be here through this has um i mean i don't know how closely you've been following what it's uh, you know the situation in the west but one thing that we've been dealing with is like the cdc will keep kind of changing their messaging and their guidance over time and the politicization of it really doesn't help things a lot like it seems like they're really focused on like okay what do we need to tell people regardless of how true it is just to make them do what we want them to do and so like masks at first, it was like, don't get masks. We need them for hospitals. And then it was like, everyone should wear a mask. And it was like, wear two masks. And the stuff with the vaccines has kind of been back and forth about like how effective they are and all this kind of stuff. Um, has that been the case in China too? Has there been changing guidance at all? And how has that, if, if so, how has that worked? You know? Yeah. Uh, I wish I could give a better characterization of that because I'm, my Chinese is still not very good. Obviously, like a government missive is, is going to be over my head. Sure. Uh, one thing that's been interesting is the, the the structure of the government is like this top-down thing where you have the central government and the provincial and the cities. And it, in a way, it's also been a little bit scattered because, you know, the provinces are empowered to do their own thing and the cities are also empowered to do their own thing. But like the central government early on actually had to say like, okay, like, we're setting a national guideline for certain protocols and travel restrictions and health measures, right? And we don't want provinces and cities trying to outdo that, to go even stricter. Because, you know, it's kind of like you don't want to be the weakest link or else, like, what's happening to Nanjing right now, it's, you know, the, the, the officials of the city are, like, embarrassed. People are losing their jobs, like, because, you know, the central government has a, a delegation sent to the city right now to, like, find out how did this happen? Like, you guys basically started another outbreak in China. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, the tendency was for the lower levels to go even harder than the, like, national government was actually recommending. And the national government actually had to say, no, 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 like, take it easy with some of these restrictions. Um, hmm. So that's it's kind of been uneven here in the sense that for a while people were trying to outdo each other with how, like, how serious the lockdown and the measures were. Hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, that's pretty interesting. I don't really know much about the whole um, situation in China regarding like the central government versus the city governments and the province governments and all that. That's, uh, I don't know, kind of an interesting thing I haven't really thought much about. Is that worth uh, looking at? Like, does is there a lot to... I'd like to learn more about it. Um, it's like because it's got its roots in the revolution, it has these um, structures that don't like parallel western ones sometimes like you know a lot of western like you know the parliamentary form ultimately comes from france and and different like legal precedents i mean i i don't really know much about this stuff but it just seems to me like china has these systems that on the one hand they evolve from like ancient chinese things like the hukou you know the household registration is very old but like it's obviously was reworked when the communist party came into power yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I wish I could tell you more about that. Hmm. So do you, do you feel like there's any possibility that like this, this new, like, is, is there actually like a wave there now? Or is it, are you talking about a very small number of cases nationwide? Like, uh, it's, uh, it's very small nationwide. Okay. Like it, I think it's, I think it's still a few hundred, you know, and there's like 1.4 billion people here. Right. Sure. So it's, it's, they really tried to put a cap on it early and I think it's working. Um, sure. Because you know the, the the virus at first caught caught them off guard, but for the whole time now, um, people have been preparing. So, sure. like I don't know where they were keeping these like forty million tests. Like um, maybe they don't even have forty million. I don't know. But like I definitely showed up five times to get my throat swabbed, sure. which was impressive. Yeah. You know. Yeah. 
Um, they had like teenagers volunteering um, to put on the like, because it's like the hot summer here. So, but it's kind of a point of civic pride that like people are like, yeah, like we're gonna fight this virus together. Like, look, look at the Western countries shitting their pants about this. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how has teaching been during it? Uh, teaching's been uh, pretty normal. Uh, kids wear masks. I didn't have to wear masks while teaching. It would have been very awkward to try and teach language through a mask. Sure. Yeah. Um, and at first there were like little restrictions like, okay, we're all going to eat in a different way now. Um, but eventually it was like just purely normal. Yeah. Um, so you said that you wanted to talk maybe a bit about uh, language learning as well. So you've been trying, yeah. are you trying to learn Chinese or? So I am. To, okay. I've been studying Chinese. Like I took a course at uni and then since getting here, I've been studying. Um, I listened to that episode you guys did with Goatstein. You mentioned Anki. Anki's great for learning characters. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like hitting that intermediate swing right now, which is kind of like a, a plateau trying to power through that right now. Mm-hmm. Don, you so said when, you're doing some Chinese study yourself? Well, just, just a little bit. I was just working on it a bit on like Duolingo and stuff, just learning some of the basic characters and stuff. But mm-hmm. um, just, just I mean, I, I've had failed attempts before at various times to get into Chinese, but um, especially, I mean, when I was there, I, le- I picked up a bit uh, from, you know, like enough to enter Pinyin in my little phone, whatever, so I could uh, get a taxi ride somewhere or something like that, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So when you're out and about, do you try to speak Chinese to, like, uh, you know, like people that you're around, like clerks and things like this, or? Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a social butterfly, but, like, when I do yeah. my errands, I'm going out, I, I chat with people. Sometimes people actually, like, come up to me on rare occasions, or it, it does sometimes get annoying, like, like, a little kid will just be, like, staring at me on the bus, you know, or, <laughs> or even, I was at the park, yeah, yeah. I think this kid might have been a little, might have had, like, some developmental disabilities, he was, like, stroking the hair on my forearms. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, like I use Chinese when out and about. At first, it was very hard, but now I'm sort of can hack through like simple exchanges and stuff. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's getting cool. getting slowly better. Yeah. Are there a lot of? Is there a lot of English there now, or is that like is that part of it? Or I, I, when I was there, there was very very little. That was like and very few foreigners and uh, relatively. Yeah, I think things change fast, and um, there is a fair bit of English here. Like, every every student is trying to learn English, particularly for the uh, university entrance exam. And there are, especially in the cities, people who are more, like, sort of cosmopolitan, like, like the rich uh, will have, like, probably more experience leaving China. And, yeah, there, there's a fair bit of English here. Most people don't know any, though, and... Uh, some of the people who have a supposedly like studied to a high level, it's like they, they sort of, I mean, I guess the fundamental problem is Chinese and English are just like so far apart on the family tree of languages that like sort of coming from Chinese to English or English to Chinese, like anybody's going to have to do a lot of work. Sure. Like, I'd say it's like triple as hard as learning Spanish or something. Mm-hmm. So, I, and when Chinese people try and learn it, it's the same as when we try and learn Chinese, like people will, it's it's a marathon, and people will drop out in s- smaller and smaller waves. Like sure. some people never yeah. get past cat and dog, and then some people end up like, okay, well, I'm I may be able to crack Harry Potter now. Mm-hmm. Um, does your partner speak Chinese or no? Uh, yeah, she's um, she's from Hubei, and okay. uh, you know she grew up speaking like a local dialect, um, but speaks Mandarin, obviously. Um, and yeah, also fairly good at English. Like she was a she was a crack student as a kid, and learned a lot of English just for like school because it's like one of the big subjects in the Gaokao, which is the university entrance exam. So mm-hmm. anybody who wants to go to university pretty much has to study some English. Okay. Yeah. Are you able to uh, get around with English okay over there, or do most people just not speak any English? Yeah, I mean, a lot of um, a lot of cab drivers or Uber drivers, DD drivers, will know a bit. Um, I there are a lot of other foreigners here who don't speak any Chinese, and somehow they make it work. 
it's 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 interesting. I mean, the the expat crowd here. Um, there's obviously some people who are really interested in Chinese culture and learning the language, and there's other people who are like it's basically mercenary, like you know they'll go to whatever country pays the most for teaching English, and China happens sure. to be one of those sure. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like I know a guy who owns like a, a restaurant here. He's been here for ten years. He's got a wife, and uh, she's Chinese, and he. My Chinese like surpassed his like the, the first month I got here. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. How do you find like interacting with the bureaucracy there in general? Like, uh, oh god, getting all it's your been, forms and everything. You know, it's a nightmare. I mean, like Chinese bureaucracy's got to be one of the one of the one of the biggies. Um, even before coming here, getting the visa and stuff, it was like running around and and like I, I went. I, I took an overnight Greyhound to get this stamp from Ottawa. And then came yeah. back to Toronto, and the Chinese consul was like, "Oh no, y- y- this this won't do. You need a stamp from Toronto." And I was like, "God damn it!" Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but then recently here, it's been kind of messy because my like employer is trying to like. First, they were trying to like make me stay um, because I found a better job, and then now now they didn't pay me my last paycheck. Be interesting to talk about like education with you guys. I don't know if you heard about the. Um, government crackdown on private tutoring in china and like the video game crackdown too oh i haven't heard yeah. of that no. i haven't heard of the video game i knew about the the tutor schools right or something like that they're made in yeah the tutor schools so. so i guess this is like a constellation of things um like central government um initiatives what about the um i get like the tech sector is getting reined in and then they basically banned a lot of private tutoring like you can't for example tutor uh, from abroad, like there's this big company called VIP Kid, which is like you hire an American to sit in front of a webcam and do an English lesson with a kid sitting in China. Like that's not allowed anymore. Everybody who teaches has to be in China, and um, they also like because like kids here are studying so hard. Like from from even like four or five, they've got like extracurricular lessons, and like the point of the stuff is the government wants to reduce their workload. And also, I guess people see it as it's too hyper competitive. It's mm-hmm. like if everybody in the movie theater is standing up, then you have to stand up too. Um, so I guess the mm-hmm. point is to try and sort of like have kids have more time to play. And, and re- but I, I don't know. If it, it's sort of you know you're attacking the symptoms. Like the society is still extremely competitive. Like just because you ban tutoring doesn't mean the kids aren't still trying to compete for the same number of like middle-class jobs in China, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. So what was with the video games? I haven't heard about this. So Oh, that that was funny because, like, I think Xi Jinping made a speech about, uh, you know, tightening up. Kids before were only allowed to play, like, two hours of video games a day, and now they're only allowed to play one, like, through, like, the digital sort of nanny apps. And, yeah, they were, like, he called it an opiate of of the people, like, in a sort of a throwback to Marx and, like, the mm-hmm. opium wars. But then I think they quickly, like, walked that back because it was a little too strong. Yeah, like, video game cafes and, and, like, mobile games. Like, there's this one, like, League of Legends ripoff called Honor of Kings that's huge. And, you know, just like in the West, like, young people just pour hours into these matches. And, and I don't know. It's um, It's sort of, like... Some people view it as like, okay, this is like the paternalistic, like, you know, Chinese government trying to be like a nanny to its to its kids. On the other hand, like, I do think actually like, like in my life, like video games have kind of been a poison, like, mm-hmm. um, which is like, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Anything to keep those hacking fuckers off of the servers. I'm, I'm okay. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see a Chinese name when I'm playing Red Orchestra 2, it's just, yeah, bad news. I don't think I don't think any laws are going to slow, like, hardcore gamers down. Like, if you're savvy enough sure. in China, you know how to get on a VPN and play whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, it's strange to... I used to joke about this before because Venezuela, uh, for a while, was banning uh, a lot of, like, violent video games. That was, like, their one of their policies and, uh, and sort of restricting certain imports of different games. And, uh, I remember there was this guy that had an article that came out about how, like, he lived in a tyranny basically. Cause he was like that, like he had to import illegally from the United States or something like that. I don't know. There, there's some roundabout way that he ended up making it sound like he had to pay like 
a fifth of his wages or something like that to be able to play a video game or something. And it's like, I don't know, it just sounded so absurd that I just, I, I made fun of it a lot. But I mean, uh, since then I've gotten back into uh, gaming a bit more and, uh, yeah, I would, I would be pissed off if someone was like, you can't play that game because it involves violence or something like that. Cause the call of duty ones are pretty fun, but like, uh, I, don't know. I mean, isn't it easy enough just to torrent a game though? Like, yeah, that's the know. thing. He was he was lying. That's the <laughs> he was he was like yeah. uh, he was pretending that like uh, he had to go through official channels or get like some sort of anyways. Anyways, yeah. And um, the an interesting thing about him was that uh, I googled who he was and uh, I found out that he uh, posted on a Reddit forum where he would take pictures of his. <laughs> of employees uh, feet so uh, <laughs> so anyway so uh that, that's that's what happens you take away people's games they start making up new ones sure yeah it's an outlet yeah yeah um yeah so so uh, so are you do you would you mind talking about you said you're gonna switch jobs or something like that do you want to talk about that or no uh yeah sure i mean the, the sort of um bureaucratic headache has been for me like kind of a, a a low point here um like you know when i first came here like my life in toronto wasn't very good i i couldn't get a nicely paying job even though i went to university and um i was just like you know bummed out by you know walking on the mink mile in toronto and being like look at these look at these mercedes look at these look at this sure. capitalist hellhole oh you yeah know? and then i first yeah. came to china <laughs> and i was like oh my is that a hammer and sickle on that on that park c- c- can they do that yeah you know, I was like a little bit dazzled by the fact that, you know, I'm in a communist country now, but I guess that sort of wore off because like, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm in a building right now, like uh, a nice apartment building. And if I go downstairs, I can find like dozens of Mercedes. There's uh, Rolls Royce down there. There's Maseratis. Um, like, so yeah. uh, to me, like there's this sort of global convergence of, of culture and some of the things that bugged me about the way we live in Toronto and Canada are also getting to me here. Um, you know, like I, I got, I got, um, kind of, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I'm very lucky to, I'm, I'm exploiting this sort of, uh, um, I don't know what you would call it, like arbitrage or something like there's yeah. so many Chinese youth and parents who like need their kids to learn English in order to have a good, test score on university and so the demand for teaching is insane mm-hmm. uh, which means like like I, I i got this job for uh teaching math next year and i think i probably had to compete against like two or two or three other applicants if that um sure which is like you know even for like a restaurant job in toronto it's like i worked at a restaurant my boss had an indeed inbox of like 200 resumes um yeah. so like yeah like I kind of kind of got a little bit jaded in the summer here when my previous employer was like, "Yeah, um, if you don't work with us next year, we're not going to give you the paperwork to get a new visa, and your career in China is over." And I was like, "Well, I'm not going to work with you now that you said that." Um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, I just uh, I've been fighting them all summer, and thankfully my partner has been an angel about it, like helping me go to all these offices, and like we've been just crisscrossing the city, like talking to police and labor lawyers and you know immigration officials and it's every time like it makes me panic you know like walking into a, 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 a the halls of, of the government and i don't really speak chinese i can't really read anyone's tone um sure. so that's been like scary and i think it's all, i think it's all good now though like the labor bureau thankfully has been like yeah what your company is doing is wrong but like we'll we'll like get them to pay you and give your paperwork but the problem is like most foreigners can't do that i mean like crimey it's like a tiniest violin thing because like foreigners here get paid like you know five to ten times what uh the median wage is like so you know it's a, it's a minor thing but like i would it would suck to have to go back to canada this is my major thing sure yeah mm-hmm. when i was uh teaching english abroad like in the middle east uh, a lot of these ESL centers and stuff like that were really sleazy, you know, always yeah. trying to cheat the teachers and stuff. And I don't know, have you, have you run in, I, it sounds like you've run into oh, yeah. similar issues. Um, yeah. Like sort of like lying to the parents about what's actually the curriculum and the qual- wow. qualifications of their teachers. I mean, 
there's some real low points. It, it, it's a big country with a lot of places. Like there was one foreign teacher who, like every contract here, pretty much has a rule that says you're not allowed to fall in love with a with one of your <laughs> students, which is like that should go without saying. But um, there was one American who murdered one of his high school uh, girls, and because they oh, had I think sort I of heard a, a about trip. that story. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like. I guess that's why China wants to like tighten up some of these rules, but on the other hand, like the companies aren't interested in in, in that at all. Um, like there sure. was one, like emblematic of this is there was one um, education company here that um, they were making light bulbs, but then realized there was better margins in education, so they just dropped what they were doing in light bulbs and switched to education. Hmm. Um. So there was something that, I mean, I can't remember exactly what you said, but there was some sort of story that you wanted to tell. There was one about uh, Paradise Lost in the Park or something like that. Oh, yeah. That's probably like the weirdest thing that's happened to me. It's it's totally random. So I just, um, I was reading Paradise Lost in the Park, you know, which that's also another thing that would be cool to talk to you guys about. But, um, you know, sitting on this, sitting on this walkway and just trying to, no focus and i noticed out of the corner of my eye like there's this streamer and i first i think it's a phone call but then i realized like okay this is like you see this fairly often like somebody's outside live streaming and you know i'm just trying to tune her out and then she comes and like sits like right next to me which is weird because it's like this wide open park and then eventually it's like hey like can you speak chinese i was like yeah a little bit and, and she's like oh that's cool uh like like the, the, the usual small talk and I was kind of like trying to say like I'm not really interested, but I was a bit curious about her live stream. So I was like, oh, you're, you're, you're live streaming right now. That's that's interesting. Um, and I was like, how many people are are watching you? And she was like, oh, you know, forty thousand. I was like, forty thousand. <laughs> like, what? Are you like a big deal? Like, I, forty thousand isn't like. I mean, it's China, so like you got to sort of oh, forty thousand. That's nothing, but um, still a lot of people. I was like, why are forty thousand people watching this girl? Uh, like what is her deal? Like, I don't even see her doing anything interesting. Like talking to me is not that interesting. Um, and then she keeps chatting and she's like, Hey, like, can I get your WeChat? Or like, she's kind of being flirty. Um, and I'm like, no, you know, I don't know if my, my partner would be cool about that. And she's like, Oh no, no, no. Like you're, you're overthinking it. And then, you know, she shows me her screen and there's like a, there's like a sticker of like, like a, a woman getting spanked, like a cartoon. It's like, oh, okay, I'm starting to get the picture here. <laughs> and, you know, before long, um, I'm just trying, I'm like pointedly like reading my book. I'm like, yeah, I'm not really into TikTok. I'm more into books and just like kind of half ignoring her. And then she like, she's like, yeah, no, it's like this, it's, it's, uh, this is what I mean. And she just like flashes me, like lifts up her skirt. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I, I see, I'm like, oh my God. Um, so, and this is kind of like, I don't know. I feel kind of, um, I feel kind of like male privilege because i was like at no point was i like feeling like in danger but also i was like man this is not cool like what if one of my kids sees this right now my students are out of school they're like yeah this is the park where they come after school like that's not cool um (laughs) to top it off like she sits down next to me on this wooden bench and i'm like sort of frozen i don't want to make a scene or like make this viral so i'm trying to like engineer a way out that's not (laughs) funny and Um, she sits down and like, before I can get away, I just start to feel like the bench going, bzz, bzz, bzz. Like, Oh no! <laughs> uh, it's coming through the bench and I'm just like, okay, I stand up. And because I'm speaking in a second language, I'm like, okay, see you next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so that was greatest thing that happened to me here. I told That's that to funny. a buddy and he was like, Oh, I feel so bad for you. Like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. A sex streamer came up and flashed you in the park. I was like, "Well, it actually wasn't that cool." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Tom, funny. have you ever read Paradise Lost? Or no, I have not. No, okay, I have not either. So, I don't know. Sorry, we we're not great conversationalists. That's about all that good. I, I'm but... just I'm just happy to ramble here. You know, it's basically a, a story about justifying the ways of God to man. Like, why were women never given the privilege of reading and the pain of childbirth? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, right. <laughs> but real talk though i have been um i have been enjoying the like theology chat that you guys have been having on the pod kind of cool thing about learning chinese is it 
made me a lot more interested in like English and sort of been going back trying to be more literate. So I've been reading the Old Testament going through this. Um, Don, you said you did this open course too, right? I did part of it, yeah. Um, I watched some of the lectures at least, yeah. Um, yeah. The Yale ones? Yeah, the uh, Chris, Christine Hayes Yale um, Hebrew Bible course. So like, no, it just seems like an important thing. It's at the foundation of so much other literature. It's... Uh, it's, it's, it's been very hard, but on like rewarding in certain ways. You know, I'm, I'm, I guess, I guess an atheist. Uh, I was born, uh, Greek Orthodox. I did convert to Buddhism and I, I typed out the Shahada once, but now I'm an atheist. And, <laughs> um, it's, it's just like literature to me. And it's, I like wisdom literature of all kinds. You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. Can I, um, can I share a little, uh, interesting, thing that came from the course with you guys which is like a so it's it's coming from the the jewish study bible which is the the bible they use for the course and there's a passage in in jeremiah which sort of gives an example of how you know because the bible was compiled over many centuries in different sort of uh periods by different writers and even within the bible you can see examples of inter-biblical criticism um, and so this example is basically in, in Daniel, Daniel 9.2, Daniel says, I, Daniel, consulted the books concerning the number of years that according to the word of the Lord that had come to Jeremiah the prophet were to be the term of Jerusalem's desolation, 70 years. And so, you know, Daniel is uh, calling back to Jeremiah where Jeremiah states that, you know, Babylon's... Um, desecrated Jerusalem, and so um, Jeremiah says in the book of Jeremiah, uh, thus said the Lord, when Babylon's 70 years are over, I will take note of you, and I will fulfill to you my promise to favor, to bring you back to this place. And so there's this, like, promise from the Lord to, um, you know, restore Jerusalem in 70 years. Uh, But, you know, the problem is, at the time that um, Daniel is, is answering this question, it's already the second temple period. Um, and so Jerusalem's in peril, I, I believe, again. So it doesn't make sense to say that God's promise was unfulfilled if Jerusalem is still in peril. Uh, which is, and the way, and the craziest thing about this is the way the Bible itself actually explains this apparent contradiction, um, which is, you know, Daniel reports that the angel Gabriel answered this question. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people uh, and your holy city until eternal righteousness is ushered in. So, the, the actual uh, interpretation of the Hebrew here is that 70 weeks basically means uh, 70 times 7 because you're, you're meant to read the, the, the consonants in the original Jeremiah text twice. Like Shivim, Shavuim, Shivim would mean 77. If you read it one time, it only means 70 years. But if you read it twice, it means, you know, 70 times 7. And so the, the ramification of this is that the word of God is not like the word of a human. Divine speech is infinitely more meaningful. When a human utters the consonants of the words shivim, it means only one thing, 70. But when God does so, they have at least another layer of meaning. And thus they can be read twice in two different ways. Shavuim shivim to mean 70 sevens. So I, I just thought that blew my mind. You know, like if you can read any consonants in the Bible two times when they're printed once, like what does that open up for interpretation? Hmm. Yeah, I'd never heard of that before. That's interesting. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I, the one thing I, I started doing that course, the one thing I kind of, it irritated me a bit and uh, was just the the sort of regional comparison stuff that happens a lot in those courses kind of thing, or it's like talking about the tropes kind of thing, you know, being like, mm. you know, there's this Like the ancient Near East, like... Commonalities and all that kind of thing, like uh, between different faiths and stuff and um i don't know for some reason that always kind of throws me off a bit because it's like uh i don't know it just it 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 makes it sound like uh i don't know it feels like trivial or something like that at that point i don't know just uh you mean you know, like I don't the know. stuff about um you know the babylonian flood story mirroring the yeah noah flood story yeah i mean sometimes i like that but sometimes maybe it's like an inheritance from uh, when I was an atheist being, because like, I was so convinced by it then that now it feels like, uh, 
now it feels like it's it it makes it maybe I'm cringing at myself kind of thing. Yeah, in the I past. know what you mean. But you know uh, mean. but I don't know. So that's you know, why like, I, ended I used up, yeah. I used to think that um, in this very sort of new atheist type way, like oh, you know, um, we can understand the prohibitions on eating pork as like you know the priests were like the scientists of the day and they basically knew sure. that pork was unhealthy. And it's just like, that's like such a shallow and, um, that kind of explanation for pork stuff, like triggers me like nothing else. <laughs> I really hate it when people go that route. Yeah. Like it's really just a cop out. It's taken the easy way out. Like you could do the hard work of like trying to read something closely and understand its interconnections. And it's, and it's also just arrogant because like you're assuming like, so everyone else who was alive at that time, except the priest, was just stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of problems with that specific idea. Like, why only the Abrahamic religions? Like, why is that the the place where we see this prohibition on pork? Right? I mean, I, I guess you can exclude Christianity there, but um, I don't know. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, if it's something that would develop naturally, that people would come to find that eating pork has certain kind of medical problems or something with the lack of, you know, the technology we have today, refrigeration and all that, then you would see that cropping up all over the place with all kinds of different explanations and stuff. But for some reason, it's like only this one kind of tradition. And yeah, it it just, the the one that kind of makes a little bit more sense to me is the idea of like in-group, out-group sort of identification and stuff a lot of things in Islam are pretty explicitly about that and were even changed because mm. they were like too similar to certain Jewish practices. So like when, um, when Muslims pray, there's various positions, you know, you stand and then you, you bow and then you stand back up and then you prostrate in the bowing. Um, it was made kind of a point that you should keep a straight back. So you're almost making like a 90 degree kind of bend um, because in Jewish prayer, they do a similar sort of movement, but they will kind of like curve their backs a little bit more. Um, so oh. to kind of like distinguish the prayers, the, the prophet said to like, keep your back straight. So that's now like a thing you're supposed to do. Yeah, I think those kind of, um, in-group things, they do, they do, they do appear in the, the Hebrew Bible as well. And that, but like, you, you can't, like you said, like you can't, uh, it's, it's, it's very... It's very unsatisfying. Like it's, you know, to contrast with this sort of um, the pig pork explanation is one thing that I learned from this course about the, um, and maybe like Don, I think this is where a little bit you are really just cringing too much at yourself here because one of the, one of the things that the Hebrew, I guess this is Deuteronomy, like innovates is this, these sanctuary cities. It spends a lot of time talking about like these like six cities where if you, murder someone by accident, a.k.a. manslaughter, like, you're allowed to go to this city, nobody can seek vengeance on you there until the high priest of Israel changes, a new priest comes in. So there's like a jubilee for manslaughterers, which you have to put that against the Near East and the other laws, and, like, manslaughter is basically a new idea, like the Hittite laws and the Code of Hammurabi, like, if you murder someone, the penalty is death. Like somebody else can take their vengeance on you. Um, yeah, eye for an eye, right? It's it's yeah, it's eye for an eye, and it, it doesn't take into account like the the language that the Hebrew Bible actually uses. Like, is if you are swinging a hammer and you should let it go and it hits someone and it kills them, like it was it, it it's considered manslaughter, and you can go to a refuge city and like wait out the blood wait out the other family to like cool down and then you're you're it's not a crime anymore because like really what, your heart wasn't wasn't murder it was just a freak accident whereas in the other societies in the ancient near east like if, if that happened to you like it would just be totally legal for someone to execute you or take vengeance on you mhm yeah that's an interesting development yeah i i had an inter- a question for you about uh um to get back to china a bit is uh so I guess you're going to be there during the Olympics? Yeah. Um, well, the Olympics just um, just happened, and, and I got to watch a few of the, the Chinese feeds. It was, it was interesting to see, like, Don, I know you've been thinking about medal counts. Like, the whole time, 
China was doing like, okay, we're going to count gold medals and because we're in the lead of gold medals and America's in the lead of total medals. So, you know, you, you see the same sort of thing going on in every country. And like, the, obviously the announcers are like, okay, here comes, here comes Canada. Uh, all right, that was good. And then they're like, all right, the Chinese sprinter is here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw a medal table where they uh, included Hong Kong, Taiwan, and Macau as uh, um, in their uh, medal counts for the golds for China. So <laughs> uh, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but so I guess because Beijing is next year, right? So that'll be right. The Winter Olympics. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, I mean, China is just like, first it had its 70th anniversary of the country in 2019. Mm-hmm. And then it had, um, this year it had the 100th anniversary of the party, which was like an insane, like propaganda blitz, by the way. Like I, you know, I, it's, it's tough to talk about Chinese politics because like, I, I'm trying to be a little more nuanced about these things and, you know, not be a cheerleader any one way or the other and just try and be fair and honest about it. But like, yeah, it's been like a propaganda blitz. Like, uh, every major Avenue has this big red 100 for like 100 years of the party, which I guess like, it's kind of weird, right? Because I, I do believe that like capitalism restored in China during the reform and opening up period. But at the same time, like they were not able to do away with the, the iconography and the ideology of the revolution and the country's like founding mythology. So, mm-hmm. you know, like I went to um, Mao's mausoleum in Beijing early mm-hmm. on when I got here and it was kind of touching to see there were women there like in tears and, and people like moved to tears by the sight of Mao Zedong's lying in state. Um, because he still is a hero to people. And, like, I guess the Xi Jinping government has sort of, like, allowed a bit more of that sort of throwback Maoism to sort of come about. Mm-hmm. Um, so where other places have you been other than Nanjing and uh, Beijing? Uh, I went to Shanghai for a bit, um, mm-hmm. Beijing. And then I did, during last year's Spring Festival, um, I guess I was sort of cheating. Like, they were saying, we encourage people not to travel, but... I was like, man, I, I kind of want to see some more China. So I went to the southwest. I went to Yunnan. And, okay. And um, went to see a few places there, which is just beautiful. Like, so so for, for people that know, yeah, it's like a southern area. It's it's more like, uh, it, it, would the word be jungle? Like, it's like, it's, it's like a lot of it is like tropical, isn't it? Like, it's like, or something like that. It's yeah. Like really, I think uh, there, there's like the high plain, and there's also okay. the, the like lowland jungles. Um, the mm-hmm. Southwest, yeah, like Sichuan, uh, you know, has jungle and, uh, it's, I'm not like too great on the geography, but I think it's like abutting against, uh, India and Nepal, like this Southwestern China. So it's, it's cool. They've got, okay. you know, there was a, there's this really cool high plain lake there in this, uh, in this town called Dali. Uh, they've got a great inland, giant, giant inland lake there. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's just gorgeous and it's a little less like like living in in a big chinese city it's like very very um developed and and i don't mean to be like the classic like oh it's it's cool to see see the real chinese see the villages but yeah um you know it is it is nice to get out of because like i'm kind of in an expat bubble and also like a rich bubble as far as my neighbors here mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah no i can understand that yeah so what like did you see any like wild animals or anything like that kind of thing while you're out there too, or like that kind of tourism or no? Mm, yeah. I, I, I mean, one of the most striking things about even coming here was just like every bird and bush and tree is just like totally different. Um, hmm. And that, you know, is one of the first culture shocks for me, like being in, you know, 12 hours away, another hemisphere. Um, but unfortunately, Yunnan, I did see some pretty depressing, like Simpsons episode zoos where like, there's just like monkeys with people throwing noodles at them. (laughs) But, uh, (laughs) unfortunately no, like real wildlife. There's been that sort of elephant troop, um, 
traipsing oh, around right. southwestern China. That's kind of cute. Uh, hmm. Cool. So you have like a sort of like a plan that you're kind of, I mean, it sounds like you went there without much of a long-term plan, kind of just seeing how things went. Do you feel like you're sort of settling in? Do you feel like you want to live there over the long term, or is it still kind of like, a, you know, see where it goes over the next few years kind of thing? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would like to stay here. It is, I think it would be awesome to really be fluent in Chinese and like, maybe long-term translate Chinese fiction. Uh, so that takes a long time. But also in general, like, it might be cool to go to school here again. I kind of miss being a student. And, you know, uh, being an English teacher here, it's, it's a bit shameful, honestly, <laughs> because it just feels like you're not really making making much of a dent and you're getting overpaid for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm, hopefully, you know, I'm... I'm in a great relationship and hope to be here for a while. The kind of spanner in the works, though, is it's like, I'm like, I'll never really be a Chinese citizen. Um, sure. And I'll always have to deal with, like, these visas and, and, and the government and stuff. And But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe ultimately that is in a better bargain than trying to find a new career path in Canada or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, your um, your partner is is Chinese, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's uh, like from Hubei province. Right. So, I mean, I I don't want to presume or, or or anything, but like assuming, like let's say you guys end up getting married at some point, would, would that allow you the possibility of Chinese citizenship? Yeah, um, it it would allow me permanent residency um, if we were married for five years. And I spent majority of those years in China. And also any children we had would be um, Chinese citizens. So, mm-hmm. and then if, if I had a Chinese child, then like I would always be allowed to get like a family visa for staying here. Even, even with a Chinese spouse, you're allowed to get a family visa. But like if you can't work, it can kind of make things difficult. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any other, you had a few stories that you said you wanted to make sure that you got through. Was Did you get the, was, were there any other ones that you wanted to oh. sort of make sure that you got through or no? Yeah, I, I didn't want to go the whole podcast without um, taking a stab at my fellow expats. Um, you know, <laughs> they recently got a uh, Canadian on death row here for um, smuggling meth. So the story yeah. is, uh, this guy was like going to take... Um, 220 kilos of meth from a warehouse in China to Australia, and he was a Canadian citizen. They busted him and gave him 15 years in jail, and then it became this diplomatic thing, right? Because, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, I suppose China's probably escalating it. There's no way of telling if they're really being harsh on this guy, but like, it's not as if like it's a frame-up. Uh, so he, he appealed to a higher court, and then, uh, I mean... I shouldn't be laughing. I, I don't know what I think about the death penalty, but he got the death penalty. First, he had 15 years, appealed it, and got the death penalty. <laughs> and um, now Canada's like, no, this is this BS, uh, which is like rightfully so. I guess like Canada should try and always be in court for its citizens. But on sure, the other yeah. hand, it's like, you know, the other guys they were talking about were like obviously spies. And it, <laughs> it, they have these other two Canadians who are in prison for espionage. And it's just like, well... I mean, I believe that just from like the way they put up the story, and yeah, so like that that guy's on death row for doing drugs. You cannot you cannot do drugs here without getting caught. And every time someone does get caught, like the foreign media picks it up as like you know Chinese crackdown, which you know to a certain extent like it's, it's a little bit hardcore about about drugs here. Um, like I knew a guy um, in Nanjing who was in jail for a year for smoking weed, and I believe he was Australian. And he got a year for weed. So the Australian press, like the right-wing press, was like, you know, this great Australian boy, he's in Chinese jails for doing nothing at all, and he's a lovely lad. And it's just like, I mean, he was like a, just like a, a hooligan. He was just like drinking and, and doing weed when he was in China. And, you know, the foreign press makes him up to be like a, a poster boy. <laughs> mm-hmm, sure. Um 
Yeah. So yeah, I guess yeah, it, it has become like a big story in Canada still. Like uh, the papers are pretty. I don't know, freaking out about it. All the Michaels, they call them, I guess. The Michaels. Yeah, they're all named Michael. <laughs> yeah, oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's how, you, that's how I knew they were spies. <laughs> sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's a... Well, you gotta, yeah. you got to put it in, in context with... it's in re- China's doing it in retaliation for the Meng Wanzhou um, arrest, sure. like the CFO of Huawei which is like the big Chinese phone company, um, tech company. She's, well, I mean, she's like no uh, wretched of the earth. She's the daughter of the founder and the CFO of this you know, giant company. Um, and I guess Canada arrested her on behalf of the U.S. Yeah. And over like tech espionage, like, or, or, tra- or trading with Iran or something. Oh, yeah, it was, it was like trade, some sort of tech thing with Iran, like letting, a, letting Iran learn something. <laughs> but yeah. um yeah so that's sort of it's sort of a tit for tat thing it's like both countries are doing the same thing uh, mm-hmm. sure yeah i mean i could see this being a case of like you you take all these different opportunities and like you just value them as high as you can so like if you have someone caught for drug smuggling or whatever then yeah give them the death penalty that makes it a more valuable bargaining chip and then at the end like they'll kind of make their trade or whatever, you know, and decide like, okay, how do we want to settle this? You know? Yeah. That makes sense. It, mm. it actually, every, every time I mention I'm Canadian, like, uh, most like sort of, you know, sort of informed people here will be like, Oh, so like, you know, they'll, 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 they'll maybe bring up Meng Wanzhou and it's kind of put a damper. Like Chinese people used to, uh, like love Canadians because of, um, Norman Bethune, the doctor in the revolution and mm-hmm. this guy, this comedian, Da Shan, who, who was like a Canadian who mastered Chinese and like was in comedies here. So like before, mm-hmm. before putting Meng Wanzhou in jail, like the relationship between Canada and China was great, but that's, that's sort of like the sticking in the craw now. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I was going to ask about the sort of pandemic stuff is uh, um, I've seen that like certain kind of theories about the United States and the virus, uh, have gone viral. I mean, sorry, <laughs> have, have, have become, <laughs> have become uh, popular in China in terms of like a petition about like researching the links between the American government and the virus and stuff like that as almost kind of like a reversal of the, cause, cause in, in the West, I mean, it's been promoted by some people that uh, obviously the lab leak theory in terms of that uh, somehow Wuhan was responsible for the leak and, uh, but I guess, like, I've seen a lot of uh, people saying that, like, you know, the Chinese netizens, whatever, have millions of them signed some petition about the lab leak theory for the United States. So Yeah, I mean... Well, they're, they're both right. <laughs> it was a joint base, so... Yeah, that's uh, the Illuminati, and that's kind of... Um, no, but, like, I, I'm not surprised. I, I don't really read the Chinese, like... Twitter or Chinese social media, but like, it's, it's kind of like the West where you'll find people making every take and it's just some of them happen to be like a bigger one than others. Like, I think, yeah, you know, look at the Olympics you had, I do know that some of the more like, I guess, right wing Chinese were like, you know, criticizing every athlete who got silver and like sending them like mean, uh, uh, mean messages and, you know, like there's some like some like rabidly nationalistic people here, but like it's it's a huge country, so that's not the majority. And you know, there's I don't know, there's people making different takes about it. Sure, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, was there anything else that you wanted to bring up before we sort of I guess wrap up soon? Oh yeah, I was I was wondering um, if you guys had heard about this. Probably didn't make the news over there, but like Arca shoe buying thing or the Adidas and uh, Nike sort of controversies over Xinjiang cotton. Oh yeah. I, I mean I haven't I've only heard a very, very little bit about it, but yeah, like the Yeah, it's it's like, you know, the the basically like the, the internal Chinese media is obviously just like, oh yeah, like, like look, like Xinjiang, we're lifting it out of poverty, like our cultural heritage is so great and, and buried. Like meanwhile, like, okay, how come the Han people get to wear suits, but 
everybody else is wearing like traditional garb. Um, so like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to be too, like I said, like fall too hard on, on, on one side or the other here. Like obviously like what's happening in Xinjiang, it's like, it's, it's, it's hard to know. Um, there's a lot of like propaganda flying around from both sides. Obviously it's, it's, it's a form of like chauvinism and, and like, I don't think Islam is really being respected in Xinjiang, but like because of the international controversy, I think Adidas and Nike both said they would stop using Xinjiang source cotton uh, because in theory, the, the cotton workers and the, the, the people tailoring the clothes were oppressed Uyghurs. And, you know, these companies are obviously just, they're not doing this out of the good of their heart. It's just a PR thing. But like, sure, yeah. there was a huge boycott in China about this. Like, their, their sales in China plummeted. Um, and, you know, still, like, there were athletes in the Chinese Olympics who were wearing Adidas or Nike. Or, or there was this one shooter who had, like, a whole closet full of sneakers because he's, like, a sneakerhead. And she had a bunch of Nikes. And certain parts of the Chinese internet were like, you traitor, how dare you buy Nike? Um, <laughs> wow. And then the reverse yeah. thing happened where this one shoe company in China, which was like, it was cool in the 90s, but like ever since then, people are like, no, no like, we don't want Chinese shoes, we want foreign shoes. So Adidas and Nike were big until this Xinjiang thing. And then this one Arca company, they donated like a huge amount of money to the, the floods in Hunan. And, you know, there were, it went viral and people in China like bought out every single Arca shoe in support of this um, CEO who, ha- who was donating to uh, the floods, which is just like, I, I feel like this is kind of the same kind of thing that happens in the West where people are like, oh, wow, like, that's amazing what Bill Gates is doing with all his money. And this kind of, I, I, don't, I don't like this respect for philanthropists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I get sure. what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. There's also a lot of like consumer stuff like that, like, uh, in the United States and Canada with like Chick-fil-A and uh, Starbucks and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I wonder what like the effectiveness of some of those are. Like I know at least the Adidas one like really did like cut sales here and the Arca thing. They really did like sell out the whole stock. But I wonder what those American ones like how effective they are. Um, hmm. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it sounds like Nike's getting it from both sides because they <laughs> ran. I don't know if they actually got like their sales were hurt by this, but when Colin Kaepernick was the big thing in the news, right. um, there that became like a big political issue. You know, like there was a lot of people calling for boycotts kind of on that Blue Lives Matter side of thing. And then the uh, the other side is more, you know, trying to support Nike for yeah. that kind of stuff. So. so I guess they sort of wash out. I mean. The um, American situation is so fragmented. I, I, I don't think any of these things really gather steam as far as like consumer uh, boycotts and boycotts. And um, yeah, I, but I think in China because like the country really is very unified right now around all these recent events, and like it was huge when when this Arca thing happened. Like I don't know. I guess this is what I mean by like global culture converging. Because, like, Chinese consumer class is rather young and growing, but then you see some of the same ills that you we've long been dealing with in, you know, sure. Canada and America with our fat middle classes of just, mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, I interact with the world as a consumer. I, I, have, I exert leverage over the world as a consumer. And, mm-hmm. like, it's just, I don't know, it's, it's, it's not great to see people in china falling for that as well like i don't know what it does like okay the this this so you encourage more companies to be philanthropic hoping that they go viral and but like ultimately like if there are floods happening on the planet um we need like a global solution to it not one where just like okay if one country has generous rich people then they're going to be all right sure Mm -hmm. yeah for sure yeah, well, uh, it was wonderful to have you on. I really enjoyed our conversation, uh, Nico. Yeah, me too. And uh, so I'm really glad you were able to join us. I know it's a uh, well. I guess it's 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 early morning there. Um, Twelve hour difference from where I am. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think you win the official uh, you know time zone difference 
for uh, you can't win guests so far. <laughs> yeah. All right. Can't be topped. <laughs> Yeah. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, thanks, guys. It was a blast. So, if you guys enjoyed this episode of You Can't Win and you'd like a second episode every week, you can get that by subscribing to our Patreon, where you'll get access to that as well as access to our Discord, where you can talk to us in our lovely community. If you want to send us anonymous questions that we usually answer at the end of uh, episodes, you can do that by going to our Twitter account at You Can't Win Pod, and you'll find a link to the Curious Cat pin there. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thanks, guys. Bye.